Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of SG Explain. We are back in the virtual studio. How's it going, everyone? Yeah, if I sound weird today, it's mainly because I'm not recording from my usual spot. I'm currently doing the Singaporean thing of flying out of the country at first notice of uh, being able to travel freely. Yeah. And I'm currently in Hanoi. The fur here is amazing. I've, I've had nothing but warm hospitality here with my family. It's It's been a great time. Missing Singapore a little bit, but not really not that much. Lah. So how about you, Mian? What's what's going on in Mianland? So I've been pretty caught up with auditioning. Just all good because it's what I really want to do. You know, I think most people know me as like a spin instructor, which is cool, which is cool. But yes, I've been auditioning a lot for English and Mandarin dramas. And that's actually been keeping my spirits up. So I'm really enjoying like the last couple of weeks. I didn't know you were doing Mandarin dramas, man. I know. I'm also taking Mandarin tuition. Oh, wow. We got embrace bilingualism. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad Elliot managed to go to Hanoi because I feel like you've been lagging behind on the travel experience. Mm. Well, I just went to Dubai and Doha. So for those of our listeners who've been following us for a while, you know that actually I'm on a personal mission to hit 50 countries before I turn 30. And when is that? Turning 30 is still slightly more than a year away. So I have some time. Doha and Dubai, which are in Qatar and UAE, form countries 48 and 49. (gasps) So I'm one country away. Oh my gosh. My very, very frivolous goal. This is momentous. Rovig, do you know what's your 50th country going to be already? I do not. So I'm open for, for influence and for for recommendations, you know. Right now on my list, I have South Korea, I have Turkey, I have Israel, I have South Africa. Oh, I think South Africa is a good 50th country to kind of wrap everything up. I think they're all great 50th countries. Bringing it back to home, you know, every time you're overseas, you kind of miss a bit of Singapore. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've been really craving, look, when I was in Dubai, the weather was hot. It's a desert, right? And it's, it went up to 39 Celsius no. while I was in Dubai. It's mad hot. That heat makes my skin crawl just thinking about it, man. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things I was craving was a good old potong ice ah. cream. Like, no joke. I just wanted, you know, those like red bean, like just mm-hmm. one of those yes. ice creams that's like, partially snack, partially like just something that you can keep going on for a while. That's really a classic sort of dessert that I was craving for. And so that's today's episode. It's potong ice cream. Really one of the more classic ice creams that we have in Singapore. Something that really, I think, forms a lot of our childhood memories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just really looking forward to unpacking it. What are your guys' memories of potong ice cream? I just remember the potong ice cream being very magical because... Without weather being so hot, I mean, it's not 39 degrees, but it is hot. Like the sun (laughs) is beating down on us. Don't you think there's some magic juju in our potong ice cream because it like doesn't melt? This little block, this little brick of goodness costs nothing, but it lasts forever. (laughs) So that was my first impressions of the potong ice cream. It was always a symbol of rebellion for me as a child. So some of my teachers who are listening to this podcast, and I know some of them do, um, they're going to be very disappointed when they listen to this story. So me and my guy friends, when we were growing up, during our physical education lessons, you know, we would run outside of school. They made you run like 2.4. We wouldn't run the 2.4. We would run outside and buy potong ice cream and just <laughs> eat it. Like, 
Honestly, I, I blame the guy who sold us the ice cream. Like. He did shout at us while we were like running by. He's like, hey, boys, you want ice cream? And we were like, of course we do. I mean, if you insist, how can any of us resist? That was our, our childhood, essentially. The potong ice cream was the break away from the tyranny of PE. When you go online to look for information on potong ice cream, there's actually not a lot. A lot of it is sort of embedded in these stories of us as children really relishing and enjoying it under a hot sun or as a way to escape sort of the, the school life. And and I just thought we could use this episode as sort of an homage to Potong Ice Cream. It's a short episode, so let's just have fun with it, right, guys? As with any sort of, as you explained, episode, I know me and you are still getting used to it, but we start with the history and go back all the way back to the 1960s. When, when we think of the Potong Ice Cream, okay, like a lot of the times the, the young joke was like, oh, it's ice cream from Potong Passe, right? But okay, now that you grow older, we kind of like dive into these all these other neighborhoods and estates. That's really not the case. It actually means cut in Malay. So Potong actually means cut. And it makes sense to me now because there are actually ice creams that are cut from big portions into like mm-hmm. smaller rectangular shapes that, you know, you and I are more familiar with right now. Um, the oldest potong ice cream first emerged, as Rovic kind of mentioned, in the 1960s, when old people in kampongs had, and quote unquote, nothing to do. So they made them and sold them door to door for extra income. Uh, At that time, red bean had already been like the most popular flavor. So I know it's like a mainstay for most of us. What flavors do you guys like for your potong ice cream? I mean, red bean is my favorite. And the fact that it's mentioned here, it's like, mwah. Red bean's like a classic, right? Red bean's like my dad's favorite flavor. So every time I see red bean potong, even though that's not my choice, I think of my dad and it brings back, I mean, he's still around. I mean, it can make it sound as if like it's something else. <laughs> I'm a very sentimental person, okay? I go to the mama shop, I'm like, mm, dad. <laughs> but for me personally, I think, Potong ice cream was the first ice cream that introduced the yam ice cream flavor to me and the corn ice cream flavor to me. So these two are my favorites from Potong. Yeah, I was going to say for me, when I think of Potong, so red bean, 100%. Actually, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a two Potong kind of guy. Like I will do two Potong. How to do two Potong? Like two bricks of a steak? (laughs) I will take two. I'll have one. Then I'll normally have the second one after that. Like, I will, I will know one potong is not going to be enough for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do red bean first, and then normally I'll either do durian or pulu hitam. Those are oh, my... Pulu hitam, bro. Pulu hitam is the shiz, bro. I don't think I've tried the pulu hitam flavor. What is wrong with you, mate? You got to get the pulu hitam. Oh, no. I'm missing out. <laughs> I would kill for pulu hitam right now, dude. Well... Thanks for sharing with me your favorite flavors, guys. In the 50s, there was an ice cream actually called the 9-inch half uh, because its length was obviously 9.5 inches, right? Uh, and it only cost 5 cents back in the day and people would buy and share it, right? And this was a quote that we took from a Potong ice cream distributor online. Potong is just like a shorter and improved version of this 9.5 incher that came about in the 60s and 70s. So... Even the potong itself is an evolution Mm. (laughs) of ice cream from back in the day. The popularity of potong ice cream, however, reached its peak in the late 80s and early 90s. No wonder our parents have this certain sentimentality towards it since that is kind of like their generation. And then the manual production where coconut was grated by hand and sometimes durian flesh was picked out from its shell one at a time, 
it could not keep up with the demand here in Singapore. Quote, my father used to keep the doors closed, pretending they were not yet in the shop because the vendors would literally fight over the limited <laughs> stock, says Mr. Jeffrey Yap, director of Hong Kong Creameries, the only remaining traditional poto manufacturer in Singapore. For any of you guys who are wondering, they sell under the Kimo brand. So K-I-M-O. If you guys are interested in still picking these things up, kaboom, go find them. Uh, and for many years, the price of potong has been kept somewhere between 50 cents in the neighborhood. And I think at most, it's like a dollar if you're along like Orchard Road and stuff, maybe a dollar 20, I think. But by and large, dude, Good old still days. competitive with like the ice creams. Yeah, in like, same like McDonald's cones, you know. If you think about the level of stuff that's going into it, one dollar is still incredibly cheap. Yeah. The steel. And then that's why you can do two uh, back to back. <laughs> okay, Robe, if you are trying to justify that you can have two ice creams in one sitting, nice try. Big brain, Robe. <laughs> now, speaking of things going into it, this is actually my favorite part, okay? Diving into how our potong ice cream is made. So, potong ice cream, oh, credits to Makan Sutra for this information, by the way. Now, potong ice cream is made of coconut milk, skimmed milk, cornstarch and sugar as its basic ingredients and they fused it with flavors such as my favorite yam we got durian and the most popular of course red bean now back in the days people used to squeeze their own coconut milk but these days of course the manufacturers get it from a supplier so after pasteurizing the coconut milk the ice cream mix is transferred into a metal container that's pre-filled with grated coconut bought from the market in the morning oh I love the smell of grated coconut, just just FYI. Mm -hmm. Now, the mixture is poured into a mold that makes about 40 plus potong ice creams. It is then submerged into a salt bed of as low as negative 30 degrees Celsius to freeze up. And because it's so cold, it takes only about 30 minutes. And in the old days, the mold was a long rectangular tube, which was inserted into a barrel that's filled with salt water. So... The ice creams themselves take a little salt bath. And previous generations had to manually rotate the drum until the ice cream froze up. So again, this one I can justify. Like for a dollar, it's a lot of work going into our ice cream. <laughs> These ice cream sticks are fixed into the mold before the ice cream solidify in the salt bit. And obviously the ice cream that comes straight out of the salt bit may have hardened outside, but it's actually still soft in the core. So it will melt quickly. And so the secret ingredient or the secret formula to our potong ice creams never melting is that our suppliers would freeze them in the freezer at negative 27 degrees Celsius before storing them at a higher temperature of negative 18 degrees Celsius. And there we have it. Potong ice cream. Ooh. Okay, la, too much effort for me to make, la, to honestly. That's all extremely cool, right? I think all of us have been curious to know how potong ice creams have been made before. I have one thing I want to just like quickly add in. I think it's crazy that for all the effort it takes to make potong ice cream, that they can afford to sell it at a dollar, dude. Right. Like, so that's the thing. I don't think they, quote unquote, can afford to sell it at a dollar. In fact, if you go online to read up about Hong Kong Creamery, right? Only traditional potong manufacturer in Singapore. They have admitted that they actually lost making. The only reason why they keep selling it at a dollar is because that's what the market's kind of gotten mm. used to. And because the older generations that are the biggest sort of customer segment can only pay a dollar for the ice cream. There are other potong brands. They tend to be like Walls, FNN, 
right? They do it in the uh, industrial sort of manufacturing side, right? So they mm-hmm. have economies of scale. But Hong Kong Creamery literally does it because it sees itself protecting heritage, right? It's almost like Dang, do big ups. Big ups to these dudes. You know, we talked about the manufacturing process. There's actually some interesting stuff I found. And so I thought we'll bring it to quiz time. Dun, 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 dun. To look at it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most iconic sorts of features of the Potang ice cream is the fact that it's a long block on a stick, right? A paddle pop stick that you can kind of just hold around and, you know, eat your ice cream. As we said, in the 1960s, a lot of these ice creams were made homemade. So my question is, in the 1960s, when people were making it at home, instead of paddle pop sticks, which weren't readily available, what do you think people were using to hold their potong ice cream? Oh, you mean there was a time when there weren't sticks? Me and I actually have the answer for it already because I know I know this by heart, dude. So, I'll, you know, I'll let you answer it and I'll give the correct answer. How about that? Okay, my first thought was that we're going to talk about the packaging of potong ice cream. The question was, what did they use back in the day to hold it, right? So, my assumption is that, like, at least from memory, I always, I don't know why, I just remembered like, there was a point in time potong ice cream came in like a cardboard. Mm, like a cardboard jacket. That's my guess. So you are saying that people used to hold the potong ice cream within a cardboard sleeve and just basically eat it almost like a, a hot dog sandwich. Yeah. My grandmother, I, I, and she used to tell me this, and I don't know whether it was true or not. Okay, actually, I'm very confident, right? But I might be wrong. That's the crazy part. But I, my grandmother used to make potong ice cream as well. And this was a long, long time ago. Probably in the 60s or maybe even the like late 50s. Mm-hmm. And she used to tell us that she used to keep satay sticks in order to hold these things together back in the day. So she'll be like, she'll amass a, dip, a whole lot of them and say like, oh, we can use it to like make ice cream at home if we wanted to. That would oh. be like satay sticks. That's ridiculous, mate. Like... Is for ketupat, you know? Like to me, satay sticks are always for ketupat and bawang. But she used to keep them and uh, it kind of stuck with me as a story in my childhood. And I never thought it'd be full circle coming through SG Explained. And the real question is, Rovik, am I right? What is the answer? <laughs> yeah, back in the day, instead of paddle pop sticks, people used, you're absolutely right, Ali, had satay sticks yes! to hold the other ice cream. Love your grandma, but I'm so underwhelmed. Because at the end of the day, it's still a stick, what? What's the difference? Hey, it's very thin, you know, how thin the satay stick is. Exactly. My, that's that's what I can't wrap my head around. So, like, it would be quite heavy, no? For the satay stick to, to hold the block. All right. So, talking about the, the ergonomics, let's move into the economics of potong ice cream. Today, you can buy potong ice cream mostly from supermarkets or online stores. So if you go to FairPrice, you can actually find potong ice cream there. And there are also potong ice creams that are sold by some ice cream street vendors. So if you go to Orchard Road or Chinatown, you'll still see some of those, what we call ice cream uncles, Love right? With the, with the movable trolley stands. And, and they, some of them, not all of them, but some of them sell potong ice cream still. Here's an interesting sort of fun fact. So this is 2013. So it's around a decade ago. But traditional manufacturers such as Hong Kong Creameries back then were already saying that they only sold an average of 80,000 potong ice creams a month. Now, if you think again of the margins, right, 80,000 times a dollar, that's $80,000 in revenue. But actually, the amount of cost that's going into this probably much more than $80,000, especially during the rainy season when their clients, who are mostly these ice cream uncles on the street, had no customers, their revenue was even less. And so, it became very, very difficult 
for traditional manufacturers such as Hong Kong Creameries to upkeep sort of that that volume of production. And then you bring in the fact that actually in terms of the ice cream landscape in Singapore, your traditional manufacturers were competing now with larger brands such as FairPrice, FNN, Walls, and Kings for Potong ice cream production itself. And then you have boutique ice cream parlors such as Birds of Paradise, Island Creamery, Gelato Labo, all coming in, right? So all of a sudden, Potong ice cream now is competing in a much larger landscape. And it's very difficult for it to maintain sort of its business edge. Then here's another sort of view, right? When you think about ice cream in Singapore, you, of course, think of the ice cream trolley uncles. And even their numbers are dwindling. In 2017, FNN Creameries, the only supplier of block ice cream packs for the vendors, right? So if you go to these ice cream trolleys, actually what you'll see is that when you buy ice cream, it's not really like a traditional gelato style where they take it from a bowl, right, or these or these cartons. Instead, what they do is they have these block of ice creams yeah. that are covered in cardboard, and the uncle will mm-hmm. normally take a chopper and and chop them into into slabs. To be honest, that's actually my favorite part of buying the ice cream from the uncle. Like I love seeing the uncles use a freaking chopper. <laughs> <laughs> to cut like the big block of ice cream into smaller blocks with the cardboard intact. It's part of the badassery mm-hmm. of like getting an ice cream on the street, right? These ice cream packs are not potong ice cream, but they are a close relative, right? I think for potong, you need that sort of stick in the middle. Over here, it's just something that you put within bread, as you mentioned, Mian, before, or wafers, or even you can eat it in a cup. FNN Creameries, which supplies these, were saying that actually based on their numbers in 2017 there were only around 150 ice cream carts in singapore so the number of people who actually actively go out and sell potong ice cream from again these traditional manufacturers is very limited most of them are again moving towards supermarkets or actually later on i'll share another sort of popular area where you can get potong ice cream all in all fnn has said that actually another part of this is also just the overall reduction in the number of people who want to do of street hawking or you know doing the business of, of selling ice cream on the streets which has also then affected a number of people who want to sell potong ice cream places like fnn i think they see the value in continuing to support these people the sort of that heritage aspect of things the amount of money you can make from selling ice cream on the street is very limited some of the hawkers said on a good day they only make around 60 to 70 dollars in a five-hour shift and then on bad or rainy days they can go without even making a single cent. Yeah. I can imagine it's hard to sell it while it's raining because their carts are literally based on foot traffic. And you don't really think of buying ice exactly. cream. Exactly. I guess there's a big question mark here around the future of the sort of culture of getting ice cream on the street, which I think we all have a lot of close memories still. Like, is the future just going to be people going to your boutique ice cream stalls instead to get ice cream, right? Or mm-hmm. are you just going to get commercial, like, 7-Eleven, you go and get like your walls or your magnums and stuff like that. The Singapore Food Agency has said that the licenses held by street hawkers who sell these ice cream, because they're non-transferable, they don't see this actually continuing for much longer. And they've actually reduced the number of licenses that they're issuing for sort of street hawkers selling ice cream. I personally can see why like this is a, a downward trend. This is definitely sunset industry. It is arduous it is difficult as a business to survive just the traditional model of mobile brick and mortar 
I think doesn't work for not just the ice cream industry, mm. but a lot of commercial goods out there. But I think it will be remembered fondly. In 10 years' time or 20 years' time, when we do a National Gallery of Singapore, let's look back at the past. Everyone will be like, man, I really miss the ice cream. Someone will make a pop-up store for it as a gimmick. <laughs> uh, as they do now these days with like tutu kueh and whatnot, you know. Uh, cotton candy machines. It's yeah. It used to be commonplace and now it's more novel. It's more of like a retro night, bring back uh, sort of like feel good vibes. I think that's what it'll become. And I will be sad, but it will hold a special place in my heart. Uh, that's that's my position. How, how about you, Mian? I kind of agree with what you said. And there's a sense of longing for something like that because it feels almost inevitable, you know, with changing times. And then when you mentioned like boutique ice cream stores, like, Dude, I can guarantee you half the people listening to this episode are thinking of getting Birds of Paradise after we're done with this. Not even yeah, the ice cream <laughs> uncle, you know? We don't see as many like ice cream trolleys going around right now. And I think one of the fond memories of, of getting ice cream is also hearing the bell like in HDB estates, you know? Because mm. in my grandmother's estate, she lives in Cantonment, it's an older estate. Like every weekend, the ice cream uncle would still push his trolley through the, the HDB buildings and you can hear him ringing the bell. And, you know, even as like a big kid now, an adult kid, like I still get excited about it. So there's a part of me that's thinking, man, what if like my children don't get to experience that? Because that was such a big part of my childhood. We have to admit, we're not going to be the ones like pushing the ice cream trolley. So we can't really complain, you know? It's like the whole hawker culture thing, right? It's like no one's going to keep it up. If no one's going to keep it up. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was a bit of a downer. <laughs> Sounds like we basically accepted the inevitability of Potong ice cream becoming sort of an archival part of our history, right? But here's the thing. So while this is true, there is one way that the street vendors have rebranded themselves or actually even creating a way for young people to come and support the Potong ice cream sort of heritage and that's actually in sort of the, the event space so now because Potong Ice Cream has entered the sort of weird space of being cute and like nostalgic actually you can book Potong Ice Cream for parties and weddings so you can go online mm -hmm. and you can find some of these people who actually have sort of on-demand ice cream trucks or on-demand ice cream trolleys and they'll come to your wedding or they'll come to your your party and they'll actually sell Potong ice cream to your But it's guests. like a catered guy. It's not like the same uncle on the street kind, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, I guess it's the best sort of thing in this time. And actually, the, the people who do come and sell those Potong ice cream, they can be young people, right? Because they are doing it part of an overall event sort of offering. So yeah, I guess if you still crave Potong ice cream, you can still find it either in your supermarket or if you want to, to create that sort of street vendor sort of feel you can hire yeah. it on any online place although i would say if you can do try to find some of these ice cream uncles who may be able to do it for you instead right so you may not need to yeah. go to one of those big event companies you can directly support some of these ice cream uncles so that at least they can keep making a living as well my only hope is that if we really start to venture into the event space and making it a, a gimmick thing like the flavor of the ice cream is still has to be there yeah because i realized with you know changing manufacturing processes of course some things are going to be a little bit different and i remember it like in the last few years like i still love my ice cream with bread from the ice cream uncle but there are just some ice cream trolleys that don't carry the same 
essence of what a block ice cream should taste like. I don't know if it's just in my head or, you know, but I'm hoping that the flavor no, stays no, no. the same. I, I, can totally, I can totally understand that. So on that note, keep a lookout for Podong ice creams in your neighborhood. Find a way to, to keep that memory alive. I mean, I personally think it's a big part of what it means to grow up in Singapore. And if people come to visit me, I'll definitely get them to try like a pulu hitam or red bean ice cream. Right? Do I need to try a pulu hitam? Like, can I get it in Zoom markets? Because I've never seen that flavor. Yeah, let's get ice cream. Let's get ice cream and like chill. <laughs> we'll do an ice cream party. Yeah, then we go and find the ice cream uncle to cater for our three-person event. <laughs> we can have two ice creams each. <laughs> <laughs> still on that. Okay, I get it. We're still on that, Romy. On that note, for everyone who's listening, let us know your potong ice cream stories. We'd love to know your memories with it. And uh, yeah, let us know if there are other episodes, the other sort of heritage stories you think we should feature on the SG Explained podcast. Till our next episode, we'll see you around. Bye, Thanks, everyone. everyone.